Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. That's unwsp.edu slash nursing to find out more. Afternoons with me, I'm Bill Arnold. Welcome to all the newer listeners that have uh, discovered Faith Radio, and we're awfully glad you have uh, joined us. And I don't know if you found us on purpose or by accident, but either way, we're so glad you're here. And there's so many regular listeners that uh, rely on Faith Radio and have been listening for decades, and we love you too. We just love everybody. And God's doing amazing work in Faith Radio throughout the whole network, and there's a lot of people who are coming to faith in Christ and they're being discipled, and it's just a wonderful, wonderful ministry. So thank you for your support of it, and thank you for uh, showing up and being so faithful all the time. We love it when we hear from you. It's um, amazingly encouraging for us. We sit in these studios, and we, we talk to our amazing guests, and then when you uh, send us notes, it means a lot, just so you know. So I appreciate that very much. Got a nice voicemail yesterday from a listener that just loved Guy Talk yesterday, and it was uh, very, very sweet. So I uh, appreciate that very much, and you're under no obligation to uh, send us notes, but uh, yeah, feel free to if you want to. All right, Alex McFarlane is going to be joining me. I know he's a busy guy today. He's uh, conducting a wedding tomorrow. I can't wait to hear about that. So he um, is in the middle of a rehearsal. He'll be on our cell phone today, but we'll uh, connect to see how he's doing and find out what's going on in his world. We'll be back in a minute. Faith Radio is so much more than just radio. We are a multimedia ministry encouraging people to connect faith to life every day through a variety of platforms. Now, you may have been driving, captivated by a Faith Radio interview, but not able to listen to it all because you had an appointment. Or maybe you had an extra busy day and you missed your favorite show. Well, thankfully, you can go back and listen to any of our programs in their entirety at MyFaithRadio.com by clicking on Podcasts. You can also download the free Faith Radio app to listen to any past programs or check out the live stream. Just search for Faith Radio in iTunes or Google Play. And for Alexa and Amazon Echo devices, just say Enable Faith Radio. Then say Play Faith Radio to listen to the live stream. Use your connected device to stay encouraged and equipped every day through Faith Radio. Welcome back to the show. Awfully nice when I get a chance to speak to my friend, Dr. Alex McFarland, a Christian apologist and author evangelist. He's written over 20 books. He's an extremely busy man with a very busy schedule, traveling all across the country, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And now he's uh, conducting a wedding tomorrow, and he's in the middle of rehearsal. But I was able to nab him for a little bit. Alex, welcome. Well, Bill, thank you. It's always great to speak with you, and I just I love what you do and everything Faith Radio is about. Yeah, so uh, do talk about your wedding tomorrow, and, and are, you've got your, your wedding sermon all ready to go? I, I've got it, and uh, <laughs> I'm going to do like a three-hour sermon. Awesome. No, no, awesome. No. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's my privilege to— uh, when I, when I was pastoring more regularly, but now and then uh, I'm asked to do a wedding ceremony, and 
This is a young couple there, college students that have graduated from uh, an area university, dynamic young people. The, the young lady works for Samaritan's Purse and works oh, fantastic. for the, the Operation Christmas Child. And I've been counseling them since last June. And it's always such a blessing when, you know, they're kids that love Jesus, they love each other. No baggage, nothing wrong. They just want to build a Christian home and spend their lives serving the Lord. And so I'm honored to do this ceremony tomorrow. But I'm honored to speak with you. And I you know, I was listening um the break. They were talking about Faith Radio being, you know, just a multi-audio uh, video, mm-hmm. a, a multimedia ministry that is bringing people to Christ. I'm, I'm so enthused about what God is doing through all that you guys are about. Um, I, I'm with you on that. I'm, I'm very encouraged by all that, that God is showing us through this, uh, radio ministry. We're now in our 70th year. It's pretty amazing. Well, amen. Hey, are you going to be in Tennessee in, in, uh, February at the, uh, National Religious Broadcasters? Someone, will, someone will be from the station. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to oh, be there. I, I take I it. Love, I will be there and I'll be broadcasting from the floor, um, and NRB, for those that may not be aware, National Religious Broadcasters, it's a gathering usually in February, and it's going to be in Nashville. And, oh, my goodness, you'll see everybody there from David Jeremiah to Charles Stanley and usually people like Franklin Graham. And last year the vice president was there. But uh, be in prayer because, you know, what's refreshing, Bill, is a lot of these um, – we get together with different radio networks and radio hosts like yourself and you know we talk about creating content and things like that but we we pray oh fantastic um, you know um it's a blessing that so many of the the station managers and the people with networks like faith i mean they yeah they got to keep the signal going and all that but i mean they are sincerely praying for revival in america and uh so anyway, folks, uh, as all of the broadcasters meet at the end of February, you know, keep us in prayer that the Spirit of God would be upon the, the ministries and the things they're trying to do to spread the gospel. Mm-hmm. Alex, do you see things that happen overseas in Europe that you think, ooh, that could be migrating next to America? I was in contact with a pastor from Scotland this week, very interesting guy. He was saying that the estimates of born-again believers in Scotland, somewhere between 1.5 and 2% with conversion rates less than 1%. He said Scotland is now considered an unreached nation. Yeah, uh, that that is something that I think here in America we need to be mindful of. And I want to say a word about um, America and a word about China. A brief was circulated yesterday about the persecution of Christians by the communist government in China. And so uh, we, let's talk about that. But uh, Bill, I saw a stat from a very reputable uh, organization uh, Monday that said in 1990, 81% of adults would have identified as Christian. Now, oh. now just follow, follow okay. these numbers. 81 to 82% 30 years ago identified as Christian. In 2012, it was about 47%, so just under 50%. At the end of 2019, it was about 42%. But in 10 more years, in 2030, 
because the millennials are coming. They're 100 million people strong, the largest demographic in America. And as, as you know, we've talked about, you and I've talked about how right now something like 26 percent of millennials say they don't believe in God. All right. By 2030, they're estimating that of adults 30 and older, 22 percent would say they believe in Jesus Christ. So this is going to mean that really in 50 years, we've gone from 82% of adults being Christian, self-identifying as Christian, to it's projected 22%. Of course, you know, if a a major move of God's Spirit happened, a revival, that, that would change things. But Greg Laurie said this a couple of years ago about, you know, across all strata, I mean, baptisms and conversion growth is flat or declining, Greg Laurie said, the problem is this, we have forgotten how to lead people to Jesus. Mm. The, the Pope, and, and let me say this, and I'm, I'm not a Catholic basher. I've got a lot of friends that are born-again Catholics, and, you know, frankly, with the rise of Islam and atheism, I, I think Protestants and Catholics that are truly followers of Jesus need to find ways to work together uh, and fellowship and unify. But the Pope, just a few days ago, before a group of students, did you see this bill when a student said, I've got a friend who's an atheist, how can I bring him to Jesus? And the Pope said, uh, we must never proselytize, and you must never tell another person you're wrong. If you tell somebody that what they believe is wrong, you're not a follower of Christ. Hmm. And my heart sank um, that the the Pope would denounce what clearly is the Great Commission, that uh, we most certainly are to tell lost people how they can find salvation. We most certainly are, as Jude 3 says, to contend for the faith. And uh, as Paul in Acts 17, 2 and 3, you know, Paul um, alleged— Uh, It says that he argued and debated, alleging and proving that Jesus is the Christ. And so the church, Protestant, Catholic, in all strata, uh, I think one of the things that we we must, we must do is rediscover an ethic of evangelism to tell lost sinners how they can be saved. Yeah, I, I agree with you completely, Alex. I mean, as you think of the world today, when when this discussion of sin uh, gets brought up less and less and Christians are, you know, people are grieving less over sin, that's not the right direction we need to go. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we, we really don't have a sense of shame or conviction or brokenness over sin. And let me say, one of the things that's so sad is, I mean, there are a lot of people that are, quote, spiritual. I mean, they've got this amorphous kind of undefined spirituality about them. But the the Word of God is clear, and the Son of God was clear. Unless a person is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's John chapter 3. And uh, in Luke 13 and in John 8, in many places, Jesus said, unless you repent and believe, you, you won't go to heaven. And the Bible is defensible as the true Word of God by compelling lines of evidence. And the content of Scripture says you must be born again. So the the church in America, you know, I I know it's uh, in the news right now how the 
the United Methodist Church is splitting over LGBT issues. And you know, I think about how God must be grieved that um, a significant percentage of a major denomination just simply to placate the sin of the hour, they would turn their back on the Lord Jesus, turn their back on the message that alone can save souls and keep people out of hell, um, rather than be faithful to Christ and do due diligence to lost souls, that the pro-LGBT would just capitulate to the, the spirit of the hour. I mean, that, that's just tragic, it, it, because it's basically saying, I care more about popularity than keeping souls out of hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's... I mean, isn't, isn't that tragic? Uh, it is. It is very tragic. Yeah. Uh, and and, <laughs> and so, you know, let's, let's remember as individuals and as the church, I mean, individually and corporately, we will give an account uh, to the Lord one day. Um, and, hey, preaching the gospel is not always popular. Preaching the gospel, you know, it is a, a, a stumbling stone and a rock of offense to people. But let's remember we're talking about eternity here, not not popularity, but eternity. Mm-hmm. Alex, do you have a couple more minutes or do you have to run? Can you stay with me a few more minutes? Yeah, I got a moment. Oh, terrific. Let me take a quick break. Dr. Alex McFarland is my guest. We'll take a short break and be back in 90 seconds. Welcome back to the program. Dr. Alex McFarland is my guest, and I, I, I quote Dr. Alex McFarland, but usually not to himself. So, Alex, I've got this uh, quote that I gave the other day from John Piper, and it really kind of lit people up. And I want to throw it at you because as believers, we need to be uh, equipped to, to know the truth and to know how to defend it, which is what you so beautifully do all the time. Well, to God be the glory. Okay, so here's the line. I think you'll like it. Okay. My feelings are not God. God is God. My feelings do not define truth. God's Word defines truth. My feelings are echoes and responses to what my mind perceives, and sometimes, many times, my feelings are out of sync with truth. I give that quote 10,000 amens. <laughs> I do too. But I mean, I just want to tie back to what you were saying about the United yeah. Methodist Church. You know, people don't like how they feel, so they want to start bending God's word, which doesn't work. Did you ever hear of the uh, novelist and short story writer Flannery O'Connor? Yes. She was, uh, and she said once that truth does not change due to our inability to stomach it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, sometimes we can't really stomach truth, but that doesn't change truth. And let me just say about the, the LGBT issue that has divided not just the Methodists, but to a degree Presbyterians and others. And now there are even, you know, ordinarily conservative evangelical churches that really wouldn't dare take a stand on that. Um, the Word of God is clear, um, but we understand people have feelings and people are hurting um, here is part of the reason that, that the church must not arbitrarily decide that they can declassify what God calls sin. 
because for one thing, in Old and New Testaments, clearly um, unrepentant sin will keep you out of heaven. And 1 Corinthians 6 has this grocery list of murderers, liars, fornicators, adulterers, uh, and included in that is homosexual activity. And so I would beg of people not – there's no sin in the world that's gratifying enough to go to hell over. But the other thing is this. Those that struggle with same-sex attraction or gender confusion, SSA and gender dysphoria, um, it's always the result of abuse. Uh, it's always it, – it, people aren't born gay and people aren't born transgender um, through a variety of environmental External factors, emotional, psychological abuse, molestation, um, people experience everything from confusion to fetishes to sexual obsessions. And besides the gospel that includes the message that we must repent, and, and let's be clear, promiscuous heterosexuals need to repent of heterosexual sin, sexual sin. But um, how dare and how tragic it would be for a group like the pro-LGBT to not only abandon God's word on this, but to get on the bandwagon of something that is psychologically, physically, and spiritually destructive to people. Bill, if I love my neighbor and the Lord commands that we love our neighbor, if I... And Augustine tells us love means to seek the highest good for another. Mm-hmm. If, I, if I really love my neighbor, am I going to encourage them in a path that will be destructive to their body, if not their soul? No. Of course not. Right. And, and folks, let me just say this, and I say it in love, but I say it not only as a, as a minister, but as a scholar. The mainstreaming of homosexuality and the, the sudden in the last five to 10 years acceptance of it, it doesn't mean human nature has changed. It doesn't mean God's word has changed. All that we're seeing is not a change in reality and not a change in God. What we're seeing is the successful marketing of something that deep down people know is wrong. And so um, I'd be very careful before I would throw God's word under the bus when it's not a change in reality, it's merely a 40-year-plus unrelenting marketing campaign. One of my uh, listeners, Alex, uh, named Terry, said, with you and Dr. McFarland discussing the lack of repentance of sins, how do we warn people of their sinful ways when our country is legalizing said sins? Well, great question. Great question. Uh, You know, um, Jefferson, John Adams, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., a lot of great people have said that the laws of man are only valid to the degree that they square with the law of God. And so uh, the Obergfell case of May of 2015 that the Supreme Court uh, said suddenly, you know, after 240 years of American jurisprudence and 6,000 years of human history, suddenly, oh, wow, um, everybody from Aristotle to Augustine was wrong, and whoops, there really was a morally legitimate reason to sanction gay marriage. Um, In spite of the fact that a law 
or really a law wasn't passed, but a, a court decision was laid down. Uh, that doesn't make it right. Um, just because unrestricted abortion was granted as a right to privacy in 73, that doesn't make abortion right. And, and I would say this, Bill, um, at the Nuremberg trials, the Nazi war criminals like Rudolf Hess and Adolf Eichmann, they defended the gas chambers of Auschwitz by saying, well, we passed laws. It was legal to us. Mm. Man can pass any law he wants. I mean, we could, we could make it illegal to, you know, have breakfast without Hershey bars. Right. But that, would, that wouldn't make it right. And so what I would say to people is um, merely because man passes a law does not necessarily make that law just. Our founders believed it. Dr. King believed it. Great thinkers throughout history, even non-Christians, have recognized it, that the laws of man are just, valid, true, righteous. They're just only to the degree that they harmonize with the laws of God. And you know what's wild? Right now, there are a million Christians in concentration camps in China. Truth. And, you know, I think about all of the woke Hollywood celebrities that um, they care so much about human rights. But um, I'll, I'll bet if a million homosexuals were in concentration camps in China, they wouldn't be doing business with China. But because it's Christians, um, the left looks the other way. Mm -hmm. So if, if we're going to be on a moral high horse, let's make sure that we're consistent with it. And uh, part of the reason that Hollywood and the left and the Democrat Party are so selective about morality is because they want enough morality to make to assuage their conscience, but not so much that it messes with sexual deviancy or abortion. Mm -hmm. Alex, I always appreciate your wisdom. Thank you so much for doing the show and have a wonderful wedding tomorrow that you are officiating. Keep me in prayer, and I, thank you for letting me be on, Bill. It's always an honor. I will indeed. Dr. Alex McFarland has been my guest. Go to alexmcfarland.com to learn more about Alex. Coming up uh, this month, this great month of January, we're giving uh, away a Spurgeon Study Bible. I think we're giving away one a week, and you could be lucky enough to win one of these gorgeous Bibles, and I have to say, they are spectacular. And it's the Spurgeon Study Bible, and it uh, includes excerpts from some of Spurgeon's most popular sermons, some great sermon illustrations, and his uh, pretty interesting biography. Uh, you will gain insight as you study God's Word. Also coming up uh, is the Northwestern Christian Writers Conference. Tickets are already on sale, and that's going to be a, a great event. If you know anything about that, if you're an amateur writer or a professional and you're looking for ways to improve your craft. You can head over to My Faith Radio and check things out. There's lots of great stuff on the website to go learn about and check out. We're going to take a little break, and when we come back, uh, Kylie Crossland will be joining me. Be back in a minute. Connecting faith to life every day.
Welcome back to the show. Awfully glad to talk to Kylie Crossland. She is uh, reports on marriage, family, and sexuality for World Digital. You can go to world.wng.org. Kylie, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks, Bill. It's good to be here. It is so nice to have you back on. And I don't know how many more times I'm going to get to chat with you as a journalist with World because I believe you're moving on. That's right. Yeah, I um, have just absolutely loved writing for World and digging into these topics. I am going to make a career shift and start working with my husband on a business that um, we started together a couple years ago. Well, that's exciting. Yeah, Uh, I'm excited, but I'll miss it. Yeah, well, that doesn't mean you can't uh, make appearances on the show now and then. (laughs) Because uh, I sure love you, and so do my listeners. So I know as you uh, wrap up your work at uh, World, it'd be kind of fun to talk about some of the biggest stories from last year as we are now heading into our second week of the new year. Um, These are ones you worked on hard and ones that have been uh, shaping our our conversation with um, the world. And I'd like to hear what the list is. Yeah. Yeah, so kind of just thinking about 2019, what were the biggest... Um, stories kind of in the marriage, family, sexuality, gender world. Um, I I actually, as I was writing this, I thought, okay, I don't want them to all be sad, you know, because God is on his throne and he's reigning and there are so many good things happening. Um, But I think within that beat, my my news beat, um, there is kind of a sense of like pulling away from the way that God designed marriage, family, sexuality, gender. Um, and so in some ways it does seem like I talk about sad things when I look back at the year, but, um, you know, I think one thing to start with is just a lot of conversation around what is a female, what is a male, especially Mm. within the context of sports. So testosterone, gender, I mean, that was huge all year. I kept reporting on things involving, um, you know, professional leagues, amateur regulatory bodies trying to figure out how do we regulate sports, um, especially considering this push to allow anyone who identifies as any gender to compete. And some of the things you reported on were, you know, no surprise because you've got these young men who went through puberty as men and now are identifying as women and they're just crushing the competition. Right. Yeah. And so there's there's this um, push for acceptance, you know, and embracing, but then also I think this, um, a sense among people across the political spectrum, like, wait just a second, is this fair? And especially with, you know, Title IX, you know, this embrace of female sports and that, you know, women should be able to compete against women, um, to have biological males beating women, um, just raises all these questions. And I think it's going to continue. You know, um, the NCAA, the Olympic Committee, have set regulations around it, but there's research coming out saying even those regulations, as I've said, limiting testosterone, all those things, don't really take away the competitive edge that someone who's been through puberty has. And so as we come into the Olympic season, it's just going to be really interesting how this all plays out. Yeah, I have no idea what's going to happen at the Olympics because it seems like a lot of the transgender issues are happening at an amateur level. Right. And now when money gets involved, well, then what happens? The, what right. happens to the stakes when, when there's cash involved? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And, and women working really hard to be the best at their sport and then just really having no chance when yeah. they get, get out there. Yeah. It certainly has been a, a very hot topic. And I know that you have um, covered it well. So thank you for a little uh, reminder of that as we are um, still dealing with lots of transgender issues Every day from um, sports down to what's going on in grade schools and 
public libraries and everything else. But there's also voices, you know, I think one positive thing I reported on last year, and it was one of the top five stories I talked about was that I do think that there's kind of a rising voice of people um, dissenting from change gender ideology and saying, wait just a second, like, is this really good um, for for people? Is this good for society? Um, and so that was encouraging to see um, really brave kind of bold voices, you know, pushing science, pushing um you know, lawsuits, all sorts of things, really raising questions about um, this whole issue. Yeah. And then when very successful professional female athletes stand up and they say, no, I think it should just be women against women and men against men, then they yeah. get they get uh, slammed pretty hard as well. Right. Well, and like, interestingly, I last last week I reported there's kind of this little news blurb about J.K. Rowling, the um, author of the Harry Potter series, who expressed some support on Twitter for a, a woman who was fired um, for saying that there is such a thing as a biological woman and that, you know, men can't become women. Um, and and she got blasted and she didn't do anything. I mean, she just kind of let it stand, didn't take down the tweet. You know, and so I think there are some women who are kind of saying, you know what, I'm going to say something and I'm going to push back on this. And um, even if I get criticized, I'm not going to back down. And across the political spectrum, I mean, Rawling is um, a liberal. So, yeah, right. All right. Let's talk about some of the things that are hitting youth. And one of the things that concerns me, and I know it concerned you a tremendous amount, is this whole um, vaping. Um, yeah. The epidemic. <laughs> that's the word I was looking for, Kylie. It was yeah. epidemic because it's, uh, epidemic. it's serious, isn't it? It's really serious. Yeah. Um, you know, I, it kind of started as, oh, wow, there's more and more teens picking this up. Oh, wow. You know, this is this is an issue. You know, schools saying they're just confiscating, um, you know, vaping device after vaping device after vaping device. You know, kids are hiding them in their sleeves and their collars, um, you know, and then now uh just increased use of not just nicotine, but also vaping marijuana. And just the fact that it's easy to hide, it's hard for parents to know, and it's really addictive. Um, and so all over, you know, across this, the board this year, there was um, news about efforts to regulate it, the health consequences of it. Um, you know, and then there was kind of all this talk about people who buy certain products who um, that contain a substance that is causing some deaths and hospitalizations too. So vaping was a big, a big story in 2019. Mm -hmm. And whenever the government tries to regulate anything, it seems to not make much effect or make much difference because something that the, that kids want or, or adults want, it goes black market and underground pretty fast. Right. Well, and there's kind of, that's one of the big conversations because some of the advocates for regulating have said, you know, we beat big tobacco, you know, rates of kids smoking combustible cigarettes are lower than they've ever been now. And so that was a success story. Um, but, but now rates of nicotine addiction are spiked back up because all these kids are vaping. And so they're saying we need to regulate it like we did cigarettes. Um, and yeah, there's just a big question of whether or not that'll work. You never really know what you're ingesting. There's some oil that's coating your lungs. And, oh. You know, it seems like it's an interesting thing to try and do, and all of a sudden you're addicted to it without yeah. really knowing what's going on. Some of the it's cases, terrifying. Kylie, some of the cases have been horrifying where these young kids who have never smoked in their life had a vaping experience and ended up in the hospital. Yeah. There was a story recently, I think it was a 17-year-old in Michigan who had a double lung transplant. Wow. Um, From as a result of that. 
yeah, as a result of that vitamin E acetate substance that they're finding in some of these vaping cartridges. Um, I think that the doctor said his lungs looked like those of someone exposed to mustard gas. My, it's horrifying. Yeah, yeah. it's really horrifying. So I know another uh, big story that's been out is relative to technology and how that affects kids and the family. Right. Yeah, that's all over. And I think, you know, that there's a a lot of debate about, um, well, I mean, you know, for families, how do we think about technology and kids? Um, But then also, is it tied to uh, this mental health crisis that we're seeing in teens and kids with higher rates of anxiety and depression, you know, suicide attempts? And there are voices saying no, that they're not tied together. But then there are other voices saying that these two things have to be tied together. You know, you look at rates of smartphone use and the fact that kids on smartphones, you know, aren't doing certain things that kids need to do to thrive, like face-to-face interaction, lots of sunlight, lots of sleep, mm-hmm. you know, time for silence and reflection, that technology is squeezing all those things out. And so why should we be surprised that kids are exhibiting signs of, um, of mental health conditions, you know, that come from a lack of these things? You know, not to mention you're going to, it's going to crush your creativity as a kid with an imagination. You right. want to, you want to encourage kids to use their imagination and to explore many opportunities in their young their young lives to figure out what they might want to excel at, what they might uh, take a real interest in. And right. if you're glued to your phone, Kylie, it's, you know, it's pretty hard to to be distracted from that. Yeah, absolutely. And also just that sense of resilience, like that kids can face challenges without um, just turning to a pacifier, you know, that the smartphone has become kind of this thing that can calm them down or um, make them forget something that's hard and that they can just pop it out of their phone and use it. And that, you know, there's certain um, studies that are showing that kids just don't have that same resilience, emotional, physical, to kind of beat challenges. Um, And then plus it's just horribly addictive, (laughs) You yeah, know, I think it the, is. The science around that, you know, just the fact that a lot of these apps, video games are using the same kind of science people use for slot machines, just that trigger that intermittent dopamine release um, that make people stick around. I mean, it's just terrifying to think they're using um, kids as almost a social experiment. It's interesting. There's uh, legislation that's being uh, presented in Vermont, and I don't think it'll go very far, but it's a bill that would bell, uh, would ban cell phone use for anyone under 21 years old. Oh, wow. Yeah. I had not heard of that. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. Now, this, the, uh, the person that is um, proposing that legislation, uh, Senator uh, John Rogers, um, he said, I have no delusions that it's, uh, you know, that it's going to pass. And he goes, I right. probably wouldn't even vote for it myself. But it had a lot to do with just the whole idea that kids are becoming more addicted and they're, they're getting bullied a lot. And yes. they're also being distracted as drivers. Uh, yeah. Because they, they can't not be looking at their phone even when they're driving. Right. And all the use in schools, I mean, teachers just that are saying it's really just crowd control, trying to keep people off the phones, that there's so much distraction, the learning environment, the quality of the learning environment has just really suffered. Mm-hmm. Kylie Crossland is my guest. She writes for uh, World Digital. We're going to take a little break. We'll come back and lots more with Kylie.
worshiping together. Welcome back to the show. Awesome glad to have Carly Crossland as my guest. Uh, she is uh, uh, moving on from her position at World Digital, and she's been writing there uh, for years and writing on family and sexuality and marriage. And so we're talking about kind of the year in review, some of the top stories that came out. Um, reproductive technology, Kylie, a lot of stories about that last year. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, like as we've developed technology, I think this happens a lot of times. Um, the questions become like, what can we do? And maybe um, we kind of forget, like, should what should we be, be doing? Um, kind of the ethics sometimes catch up with the technology. Um, and so I think just with fertility, I mean, you know, in general, there's so much that's amazing about what we've learned about fertility and, and helping, um, men, women who haven't been able to conceive, Mm -hmm. conceive. I mean, all of that's wonderful, but along with that, with, um, really separating kind of a market for eggs, a market for sperm and a market for wombs, what we've done is we've commoditized pregnancy and then children. Um, and so there's just lots of ethical questions that are coming up around this, market. Um, surrogacy is a big one. Um, surprisingly, I think to a lot of people, New York state this past year did not remove a ban that it has on commercial surrogacy. There's a big push to make New York, um, a commercial surrogacy market. And there was kind of this coalition of opponents, conservatives, feminists who pushed back against it. It didn't pass. Um, but there are a lot of states that are changing their laws about like what it means to be a parent saying that there's no really no such thing as like a biological mother and father. It's really the intent to parent. So if two women intend to parent a child, then the anonymous burn donor, you know, doesn't have any rights. Isn't really part of the story. Um, you know, just really changing the way we think about parenthood and, and who actually creates a child. Um, and there's just this push away from a mother and father, which is what we know is best for a child. Mm-hmm. And when you uh, redefine, uh, marriage in in the society culture's eyes, you all of a sudden then have to start um, readjusting things like parenthood. Because Absolutely, that's the right. next step that they yeah. take. Yeah, every married couple should have a right to children. You right. know, a lot of that language saying, you know, every, it's a natural desire for children. Everyone should have a right to children, and what that does is it puts the rights of parents or the desires of parents above the rights of children, um, which which is a travesty because children lose in the end and they're kind of made to play into these um, families that we formed. Um, One interesting, just this week I was reading a Wall Street Journal article that was reporting on the rise of these subscription-based websites that match people who want to co-parent without any romance or marriage. I saw that. Yes, I want to be a mom, but I don't really want to have a partner. Um, So almost like they, in the article, it kind of talked about like it's like post-divorce, except without the arguing in the marriage, right. you know. Um, so just two people who say, "I want a baby, you want a baby." Neither of us want commitment, so we'll just do this together. Yeah, because I want my child to have a father, and but I don't want to be married, and I don't want to have a relationship with that person other than we're going to be co-parents. Right, and anyone who comes from a divorced home knows that's not ideal. 
You know, and in no case do we say, oh, the best thing for a kiddo is to have to share time with mom and dad in two different households. Mm -hmm. You know, the best thing for a kiddo is to have mom and dad together. And so then we're trying to start a child's life in this non-optimal way and saying that it's best because it's what the parents want. Mm -hmm. Boy, there's um, always hostility to to God's design, isn't there, Carly? Yeah, and and desires to work around it. Yes. You know, we want to kind of make our, figure out how how to make it work for us. Um, as opposed to embracing it the way he designed it. Yeah, that's usually what what we see, and and sin is something that is uh, so self destruct. It's so destructive, self destructive, and society societally destructive. Right. Yeah. Well, all right. I know another big topic, and it's going to continue for a long time to come. Is the the the, tr- the trans resistance that um, we're seeing. And yeah. against gender fluidity, and I know I have friends and know people who are um, trying to have their kid in that position. Yeah, just where we're not saying male or female, we're just going to let them decide. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think as as that pressure to kind of erase gender um, and say, you know, ev- everybody can just be what they want, as that is rising, there's also rising kind of a voice of, well, wait just a second, this dissent um, to that idea. And so, you know, I reported on a lot of different instances of that throughout the year. Um, a couple that kind of came to mind as I was thinking about the year in review, there was a woman at Brown University um, two years ago that released a really controversial study on rapid onset gender dysphoria, which is just this rise of of especially young girls who all of a sudden identify as transgender. And, and she was, you know, she's just trying to look at it as a researcher and was really shut down. The research was shut down. Brown University was criticized. Her publisher was criticized. And this past year in 2019, it was really vindicated that the research was good, you know, that her questions were legitimate. And she really stood behind the research. And I think there are a lot of children who are going to benefit from her, her looking into this because it does seem like there's this pressure to say, no, transgenderism is something that's innate. And she's saying, no, these, these young girls especially have lived their whole childhood with no evidence of gender dysphoria. And they get to high school and there's all of a sudden five or 10 of them who all of a sudden identify and what's going on here. This is, this is a social contagion. Mm-hmm. Um, that was an example. There was, um, some employees at Britain has one gender clinic and there's a group of employees that kind of quit and did a, did a interview with the times of London saying what's happening in this clinic where we're giving kids hormones, where we're encouraging them to transition is unethical. And we were forced to do it, you know, against our will, against our better judgment, um, and kind of voicing these concerns, you know, I'm sure they're getting criticized for it, but we're brave to voice these concerns. Um, I could go on and on, but there's just, there's people who are saying, you know what, um, this ideology that says there's no such thing as gender, um, that biological sex doesn't matter is wrong and it's hurting women and girls, especially, and I'm going to stand up to it. Mm-hmm. And Kylie, do you see how the, the, the pro choice, uh, movement is kind of putting their, their foot on the pedal as hard as they can with the election coming up? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, like in, in what ways are you thinking? Well, it was interesting. There was a story that came out uh, in Massachusetts where they're trying to uh, get uh, minors to the point where they can go have an abortion without right. contacting the parents at all. 
And I, right. I just think where is the intellectual honesty? Because you can't give that child an aspirin at school if they have totally. a but yeah, or neosporin. <laughs> or neosporin, and, but but really, we want you to go out and, and have an abortion without your parents knowing. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I think, you know, there is a lack of intellectual honesty, um, even just when you think about um, women and, um, you know, just supporting women and just all that comes from a procedure like an abortion um, down the road and just pretending like it's a quick, easy fix that has no repercussions. There's no other lives involved. Um, it's just, you know, I think it's, it's black. You're trying to pretend like there's not a life that the child isn't a life and that this woman's life isn't going to be affected by this down the road. They're just ignoring the truth of that. And it's absolutely true. I mean, there are being told lies when yeah. they're getting their procedure done. And yeah. I think as they realize with technology and everything else, when God reaches them and convicts them, they understand what they did and, and their lives are forever changed. It's very sad. They're not given the, the full picture. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was that, that woman, Michelle Williams, at the uh, Golden Globes on Sunday. She was thanking God for abortion. Right. Because it was right. thanks to that she was able to uh, pursue her career. Right. As if, like, a woman needs to um, kill a chi her child to succeed. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just so interesting to say that that's what it takes for a woman to succeed. It's like, really? Like, um it's, it's not, even if, even if you don't believe in God, just to say that's not even real true feminism right. um, to think that that's what it takes for mm -hmm. a woman to succeed. Um, yeah, Carly, it's really tragic. Yeah. Kylie, does the, like the, um, the agenda that comes with the trans movement, I mean, at some point they argue the right for everyone to decide their gender, yet at the same time they push for it no gender distinctions at all. Yes. Help me with I that. think that's yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think it's one that people aren't pushing on enough that there is a lot of discrepancy. Um that gender matters and it doesn't matter. It's huge. It's everything. If I can't identify by the gender I feel I am, then life isn't worth living. But then there's no such thing as gender. Kind of this mixture of gender fluidity and then this like um you know that our gender is so innate in us and that it defies biology in some ways. Those things don't actually work together. I think especially, I mean, and we've talked about this, I think on the program that progressive feminists are one of the voices that are really pushing back on this. And there's all these mm. interesting, like the heritage foundation has done some things with the women's liberation front, which is like a radical liberal feminist group, but on just this idea that we have to believe there's such a thing as a woman if we don't, then like what flows from that? All of these things flow from that. You know, if we don't believe there's such a thing as a woman, that women are unique in their way that they can conceive and give birth, pregnancy, you know, sports, mm -hmm. uh, protected spaces, all these things flow from the idea that there is such a thing as a woman. And um, so they're voicing these like kind of, you know, dissent and, and then they're getting called, you know, there's this whole category, trans exclusionary radical feminist turfs. And it's like this slur that's used against these women who are saying, no, I'm a feminist. And I believe that there's such a thing as a woman. So it's really interesting. This whole world of, um, transgenderism, I think is, is 
creating some interesting bedfellows. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, I think there was a T-shirt I, I saw that said, there are no genders. And there was a T-shirt you could buy. So I was kind of curious. I, I clicked on the little uh, drop-down menu uh, right. to buy the T-shirt, and there was two choices, men or women. <laughs> I mean, come on. Awesome. Right. How does that work? Right. Right. Totally. Yeah, it's really, it's, um, yeah, I don't even know what to it's say. So it's so intellectually like hard, dishonest. Want to, yes, it's, it is. And, you know, it, there are people behind these opinions, and a lot of them have a lot of hurt in their lives, you know? And so I want to, like, acknowledge that and, and talk about these issues of sensitivity. Yes. Um, but also just acknowledge that doesn't mean that we can't be truthful. Exactly. About how God created us and, and the way that he designed us. And that embracing the way that he created us is the best for someone. Mm-hmm. Um, and Carly, thanks for saying that because, yes, lost people will act in lost ways. And it should yeah. come as no surprise. And right. people who are suffering need our deepest loving compassion. Absolutely. But we also right. need to tell the truth. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it's going to be, uh, I'm going to miss you. But thank you for being such a great uh, regular guest on the show. And we'll talk again. We'll get you okay. back on the show for some reason. <laughs> Awesome. Right. It's been a, it's been an honor. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Kylie Crossland's been my guest. Go to world.wng.org to uh, see more of her writing. That wraps up our show for the week. Thanks to uh, a great week and thank you for listening and being such great supporters of Faith Radio. We can't do this without you. We love you. I hope you have a wonderful weekend as you lay your head on the pillow tonight. Just know God's working out his great plan in your life. That wraps up our show. You know it's time now to ring the bell. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.